I actually wasn't aware that I was really Asian until I was about 11. I went to a Montessori school and no one ever really said anything about race. So I never really thought about my race. I knew that I was Chinese. I knew I was adopted from China and I was proud of that, I guess, but I didn't realize it was something that people could see. It wasn't until middle school that I realized that I looked different. I came home one day and I told my mom that I didn't think anyone could tell that I was Asian. And then like a year later, I came home crying and told my mom that I didn't think boys would ever like me because I wasn't white. So it was like Mm. this huge shift that happened. Hey, and welcome to I'm Adopted, Now What? a podcast where we talk about all things race, culture, and identity, one chat at a time. This is for people who want to get real, get deep, and figure out, now what? I'm your host, Liza. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for being back here this week and joining me for another episode. Today, I chat with Sophia, who I met on Instagram. I think it was Instagram. She reached out to me. She had found I'm Adopted Now What out there in the wild somewhere and messaged me to tell me that she was really enjoying the content and found a lot of what was being talked about on the show relatable. So I asked if she would be willing to come on the show and share a little bit about her life and her story and her experience as being an adoptee. She said, of course, and here we are. In our conversation, we, as usual, touch on a lot of stuff, but specifically in terms of Sophia's story, we talk about growing up in sort of a sheltered environment, hometown or family where you might not be exposed to a lot of diversity and kind of, you know, what the impacts of that can be in adulthood, you know, when you ha- when you grow up and spend your childhood in a place that lacks diversity. We talk about origins and the idea of visiting your like birth country and doing a heritage trip. I know that we've touched on that in other episodes as well, uh, but Sophia's perspective I think is one that isn't uh, as common and I related to it in a lot of ways. I think she is someone who, like me, kind of wasn't really aware of her Asian-ness until later in life unlike a lot of the other adoptees that I talked to on this show. And so I think the the whole origins conversation from that sort of perspective is unique and certainly one that I can relate to. So, you know, I hope that the audience can gather something from that as well, from her story in that sense too. We also talk about racism then as in like 10, 15 years ago, and now in COVID in 2020 and 2021. And we also spend a significant amount of time talking about what Sophia studies in school, which is anthropology. I'm not going to go too much into it just because, as I said, that's 
what a lot of our conversation is about. But generally speaking, we talk about how the United States is so Eurocentric in any anthropological thing that you may learn in school and how her experience in studying Eastern cultures and Eastern civilizations influenced how she thinks of herself in terms of her identity and being adopted, which was a really, really fun and cool discussion for me being someone who never really studied anthropology of any culture at all. So yeah, I'm really excited about this episode. Let's get right to it. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Sophia. She is a senior at Hamilton College studying anthropology. Very cool. Originally from North Carolina, she lives in upstate New York and she is thriving in COVID because she comes from a rural area and she is used to the whole not going out, staying at home uh, situation. So hi, Sophia, and thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, now, I just like to ask all of my guests to get us started. Uh, what interested you in my project or why is the idea of adoption and identity uh, uh, so important to you? Great question. So I started thinking about my identity as an Asian adoptee in high school. And at first I was like really angry about it. And I wrote my college application essay about my identity because I was really confused because I felt very in between. I was like, well, I feel white, but I look Asian. And over the past, I guess it's been four years now, um, I've just kind of been thinking about that in the back of my mind. And I'm actually writing my senior thesis on adoption and Chinese adoptee identity. Wow. So I, I was already pretty interested in it. And so when you reached out, I decided that I would love to talk about my experiences. Where were you adopted from? I was adopted from Anhui province in China in 2000. Mm-hmm. And do you know like what, what kind of situation uh, they found you in and like, you know, the background of your adoption, like how old you were and all that kind yeah, of stuff? Yeah. Um, so I don't know a lot about it. I know that I was found at a, outside of a building in Hefe, and I was estimated to be a day old. So wow. I was found um, the 17th of September, and my given birthday is the 16th. Wow. Other okay. than that, I don't really know a lot. And you, you were, but you weren't adopted when you were like a day old. You were no, adopted I months was, later? Yeah, I was 10 months old. Okay. And you were, you, your parents lived in North Carolina. That's where you were brought to. Yep. Yeah. So I I grew up in the same house. Um, It's in Western North Carolina. So in the mountains, um, very white, Mm -hmm. white community, like white neighborhood. Yeah. um, Well, not even a neighborhood really, because I live 20 minutes away from a really small town. Um, The entire County has under 20,000 people and it's 97% white. Wow. Okay. And did you feel like very aware of your Asianness when you were growing up or like the surrounded by all that whiteness? Did that just make you feel like, oh, I'm also white or were you aware that there are differences? I actually wasn't aware that I was really Asian until I was about 11. I went to a Montessori school for most of elementary school and no one ever really said anything about race. 
So I never really thought about my race. I knew that I was Chinese. I knew I was adopted from China and I was proud of that, I guess, but I didn't realize it was something that people could see. Mm. And it wasn't until middle school that I realized that I looked different. Um, I actually, at first, I came home one day and I told my mom that I didn't think anyone could tell that I was Asian. And then like a year later, I came home crying and told my mom that I didn't think boys would ever like me because I wasn't white. So it was like Mm. this huge shift that happened. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you feel like, did you, do you remember your parents ever having like an adoption conversation with you or it was just sort of something that you noticed gradually, like naturally, as you said? Yeah, it was, it was very naturally um, brought up. Like it was just kind of always a fact in my life. Um, So my parents had, I guess, like books about adoption and China that they would read me as a kid. So I don't actually remember ever being told like, oh, you were adopted. It was just something that was always part of my life. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really think about it that much. And I don't think anyone really talked to me about race that much. Um, I guess no one thought to do that when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I guess adults thought that maybe it was obvious and that, of course, everyone sees race, even though children don't really see race. They learn to see race. Mm -hmm. That's so, that's such a good point. Like that reminds me of, you know, the, the saying like children aren't, aren't born racist. They're, they're, that is something that is taught to them. That's something they pick up from the world around them. Um, Are you an only child? Do you have any siblings? You are an only child. Your upbringing, sorry, two cats. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) Your upbringing sounds a lot like mine. Really small town. I think mine was 14,000 people. Um, Although I will say that my town was very diverse. I felt like growing up. Um, I still never felt Asian though. I, I totally hear you. Like I didn't think people could tell I was Asian. Like I, I still sometimes will forget that I look Asian. Like when I talk to people, even like my closest friends and family and everything. Um, so did your parents ever, did they try and keep Asian influence around you? Like in the house, did you do any Asian Chinese related traditions? Yeah, they, they definitely tried to, I know that when they were a applying for adoption, they had promised that they would um, try to expose me to Chinese culture in some way. So we celebrated Chinese New Year. And uh, we actually got together with this other family because there's one other family that had a a girl who was adopted from China. She was a few years older than me. So we always did Chinese New Year together. And my parents used to try to take me to like culture days and stuff, but Mm -hmm. I was never really that into it. So I think eventually we just stopped going. But I also had some like Chinese clothes when I was a kid because my parents had bought a lot when they were in China adopting me of various sizes so that I would always have something to wear as I grew. (laughs) Um, So we did that some and we also had like some decorations that were from China. I think I had this like pink Chinese umbrella and I have this quilt that a bunch of my mom's friends each made like a quilt square. And some of the squares have like Chinese influence. Like one of them has my Chinese name on it. Mm. Uh, so you, 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 your parents like kept your Chinese name in your name. Yeah. It's my middle name. Nice. Well, one of them. I have two middle names. Yeah. Oh my God. Same. That's so funny. Um, so you have mentioned this shift, um, from, you know, kind of thinking you were 
white and not not having any visible Asian features to being aware that you uh, looked different. How did that feel? Did you feel like, did you have a lot of questions or were you processing more internally? What did that look like? Yeah, I think for me, it was more internal. I definitely had some internalized racism, I think, because I didn't really realize I looked different until kids at school started um, making fun of me and saying things about my eyes or my nose. Mm. Um, So for several years, I actually hated my face because I thought that I had a flat nose and squinty eyes. Um, So I was kind of ashamed of being Asian. And I know like sometimes I'd make an active effort to not like be outside in the sun too much because I didn't want to get tan because I thought that would make me look more Asian Mm. and things like that. Wow. And have you felt, how do you feel about it now comparatively to that period in your life? Yeah. So I'm definitely more okay with my Asian identity now. Um, It's changed a lot because I went from being kind of ashamed of it to just kind of denying it completely and just not wanting anything to do with it. Um, And then feeling very in between. And now I still feel a little bit in between, but I do identify as Asian American, Mm -hmm. Uh, though usually on forms, I choose to not reply because I just Mm -hmm. feel like it's really no one else's business. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm definitely more comfortable in my identity now than I was um, 10 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's really interesting. I, I've always wondered about that, that situation too, like where you check off what race you are. Um, I've always checked off Asian American. I, because, uh, I felt like that's what they like wanted from me. Like if I had checked off white, I feel, I felt like it would have like messed up their statistics or something. Um, so that I definitely understand where you're coming from. Uh, studying anthrop, what are you? I'm not, I didn't study anthropology in college, so I don't know if there's any type of like Eastern versus Western sort of approach to it, but what, what are the specifics of that? Yeah. So anthropology is a pretty huge discipline. There are technically four subdisciplines. So there's archeology, span cultural anthropology, linguistics, and physical anthropology. Um, so I, I do cultural anthropology and there isn't really... I mean, like anthropology is a particular perspective, but it isn't really like Eastern or Western necessarily, though it definitely is based in like Western ideology. Mm-hmm. But I think anthropology is one of the disciplines that is like pretty aware of that and of mm. its racist history. Um, so it really depends on who is writing and or who is lecturing about a topic. Because um, most anthropologists do acknowledge their background and their writing and how that might have influenced um, their perspective. Mm. Wow, that sounds so cool. I really wish I had done more Eastern centric study in school. I think that'll be one of the big regrets of my life. Um, so did you think that you came to the subject of anthropology because of your experience as an adoptee? Or do you think it was sort of unrelated? Yeah. Yeah, I actually do think it was pretty related. I didn't have to declare my major until spring semester of my sophomore year. And I really didn't know for sure what I was going to decide. I was thinking psychology for a while and 
I had taken a couple anthropology classes and I had done um, summer research in archaeology. And so I ended up choosing anthropology because I felt like I related to it a bit more than psychology. Um, and my personal experiences definitely had a, a huge role in that. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess I felt like with anthropology, there's a huge focus on culture because it is the study of culture. And yeah. I feel like psychology at times places a bit more emphasis on like biology mm -hmm. and science. And I felt like a lot of my experiences were better explained by culture and my upbringing. And it's why I think a lot of Asian adoptees with white parents feel in between because we were raised in white families, but we look Asian. Yeah. Um, so it's really the, the cultural influence that leads to that in-betweenness. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. The whole somewhere between uh, kind of motif, I feel like has sort of followed me, you know, throughout my whole life in all sorts of ways. Um, that reminds me of two different things. Uh, does studying anthropology and kind of getting into, as you said, the cultural side of, of um, you know, different, different areas in the world inspire you in any way or motivate you to want to go back to China or to do some sort of heritage uh, trip and, you know, go to the orphanage or I know it can vary for different, different people, but is that something that you think about when studying um, your major? Yeah, definitely. I actually think for me, it gives me like almost a cop out in a way because I feel a little uncomfortable with the idea of going back to China for like a heritage tour um, or like even searching for birth parents is very scary because I'm like, what if I can't find them? And then it's really disappointing. Or what if I do find them and they don't want anything to do with me or they are disappointed in me. And by studying anthropology, I feel like if I ever get an opportunity to go there, then I also have like this other excuse that I could use that way. It isn't it like, it makes it not quite as scary somehow because there's like a second reason. Mm. Mm hmm. That I, I hear you. That's, that's so interesting. Yeah, I've definitely, well, I wouldn't have that kind of, that kind of um, <laughs> cover, quote unquote, if you will. Um, but I was always very adamant about not doing any kind of heritage related thing. Like people would ask me, oh, do you like want to go back to China? And my response would always be, well, yeah, like as a tourist, you know, I would see like the Great Wall and the like terracotta army and things, but I don't want to go because of the way I look or anything. Um, so I definitely get you there. And then my second, like the second thing that I thought of was um, going back to the somewhere in betweenness. Do you feel like what's happening now? Um, the Black Lives Matter movement and coronavirus um, has impacted or changed or not affected how you think about yourself now in terms of your identity? Um, I will answer that, but I want to go back to what you said first. Sure. Um, I also would definitely tell people that like, oh yeah, I want to go back to China, but like not any more than I'd want to visit any other country. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. And I think a lot of it for me was, I felt like there's this expectation that I would want to go back to China and learn about my birth culture and my birth family. And I really hate being told what to do. So it's like, because of that expectation, I wanted to do the exact opposite. 
And I mm-hmm. still feel that a little bit. Like I don't like being forced into a box of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as far as Black Lives Matter and COVID, I don't know exactly how it's affected my identity. I do think that I feel pretty firmly that I am a person of color. Um, and I think the Black Lives Matter movement has affected that some mm-hmm. and just standing with Black individuals and realizing like I'm not white and I've definitely seen articles like arguing that Asians are white basically and I I just really disagree with that we do not have the same privileges and I mean each race is different and I don't think it's really fair to talk about who has it better or worse but um Asians definitely experience racism and discrimination and um, COVID also, I think, really highlighted that. I haven't personally experienced anything, but part of that is because I try to avoid going out as much as possible because there is (laughs) also that fear that if Mm -hmm. I do go out in public, someone will say something. Hmm. Interesting. I haven't experienced, I felt, uh, any direct racism towards me either, but what you said reminded me of a question do you, so I, I totally get that you don't feel, uh, white, but having white, having white parents and living in Western North Carolina, I'm sure has just like my upbringing also afforded me certain white privileges that would not have been provided to me had I been, you know, uh, not adopted or adopted by, I don't know, non-white parents. How yeah, do you definitely. think, what do you think the, the the intersection is between the white privilege that we have been um, given and exposed to, but then the the lack of white appearance? Like, where do you think the overlap is there? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like, so yes, we've benefited some from our parents' white privilege, but I don't think we have white privilege because we're not white. So growing up, I definitely benefited from it more because I was always with my parents. But I guess I realized like after I went to college and I wasn't around my parents anymore, no one sees that. The only thing that really indicates it is my last name. Um, And so, I mean, I guess that has some benefits with like job applications potentially, but other than that, no one is ever going to think that I'm white. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, some of my mannerisms and behaviors and ways of thinking are perhaps influenced by having white parents, and that could potentially be a benefit um, in the society since it is, of course, white dominant. But Mm -hmm. um, I don't really know exactly where that, that intersection is. I just know that I don't have white privilege. I might have benefited from it because my parents are white, but I personally don't have it. Mm, that's a good distinction. I, I'm still trying to figure that out for myself. So like, I, (laughs) I get it. I don't think I know where that, that intersection is either, because I think different from you, I really do in a lot of ways feel white. And I, when I am out, like, I don't know if this is something that you can relate to, but I feel like as you, as you touched on my mannerisms and, you know, the, the intonation in my voice does project to other people a a certain whiteness. And I think that that 
the effect of that on other people is is comforting to them as opposed to some sort of like alien culture that they can't relate to and they don't understand and that they see as like other. I think it, 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 and I don't know if that's the barrier between me having someone express like a racist sentiment towards me or not, because I can't know if I wasn't, I think, you know, quote unquote, giving off this white vibe. I don't know if, if it would be different, you know, I can't know that, but what do you, what do you think about that? Um, I definitely know what you mean about feeling that way. I mean, most of the time I forget that I'm Asian. I don't think about my race most of the time. Like if I'm just talking to my friends or my parents, I'm not thinking of my race. I'm thinking like I'm my parents' daughter or like I'm my friend's friend. I don't think of my race. Um, but I, I think the one like mannerism or behavior way of thinking that I might like have taken from my parents that's an advantage is like almost this like sense of entitlement in a way of and like being able to complain about something that isn't quite right Mm. and I don't know if other people who are raised in like non-white families feel comfortable doing that Mm -hmm. um and I know that's definitely been helpful at times but I don't think that overall I give off like white vibes Mm. because I've definitely been confronted by mm-hmm. people before who just see my face and mm-hmm. assume a lot of things about me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's only in some situations. Like I've definitely had times when people have even pointed out to me and like told me, no, you can't be American because your face is Asian. Wow. Um, which is always upsetting. I've had yeah, that happen multiple times actually. Oh, wow. Wow. And what do you say in those situations? Like to those people? It depends on what kind of position that person is in. Yeah. Um, Like one time it was on an airplane and it was someone who worked for the airline. So I couldn't be like really rude to them. Um, But another time it was someone like a complete stranger and we were like on equal grounds, I guess. And Mm -hmm. I just stopped the conversation. I just said, no, I'm, I'm not doing this. I'm American and left. Hmm. Um, so it, de- it definitely depends on the situation, but I do usually, when I think someone might be going in that direction of like insisting that I can't be American or wanting to ask really insensitive questions, I just give very short, like one word answers, mm-hmm. hoping to signal to them that I don't want to have this conversation. Yeah. Um, and I, I definitely have a hard time saying no sometimes, like, no, I'm not going to answer that. Um, I think that's because I was raised in the South and I was kind of taught <laughs> to be very polite. <laughs> so it's hard for me to be like really rude to people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's, I don't, maybe it's, I, I'm sure it's partly like a regional thing. I don't, you know, I, th- I think if you live in the South or I, I guess I'm asking, you should be the one telling me this. Um, but I'm, it's my assumption that like, if you live in the South, you're, the chances of you experiencing like a direct racially or racist encounter is a lot higher than no, than if you were no, in the North. I, I have not found that to be true. Actually, wow. people seem to think that, but I think the racism is different. I think okay. a lot of times in the South, what I've experienced is people asking me where I'm from. 
Okay. Um, that's the most common thing I experience because people see me and they don't think that I'm from the South because I'm Asian. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of Asian Americans in the South, but we're a minority. And so people kind of forget that we exist, I guess. Mm. So a lot of times people ask me where I'm from and I'll say my hometown and then they'll go, but where are you really from or where are your parents from or something along those lines? Yeah. Uh, one time I was telling someone where my parents were from and they interrupted me and said, but no, where, where are you from? What is your background? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and in the Northeast, I think a lot of what I get is more of people just being a little more like blatantly rude and racist about mm-hmm. it actually. Hmm. Um, so it isn't like this hedging, like, where are you from? It's like, what are you? And then huh. if I say that I'm American, like I've had people ask me, what's your nationality? Um, and I'm um, American and I tell people that. And then in the Northeast, usually what I've gotten from people that are being racist is, no, you're not. <laughs> mm, wow. I, I'm glad you're bringing this up. I've done a few episodes on the where are you from question. I, you know, I, I don't want to bore the audience with my experience of that because I've talked about it a couple of times. But what what is your general, you know, not with a specific person, but what kind of goes through your head when when that when someone asks you that or or any any question like what are you? Where are you from? No, where are you really from? Any of those like what what how do you feel about being in those situations? I'm sure, which is all the time, like a lot of adoptees that I've talked to. Yeah, it's it's really uncomfortable. The where are you from question isn't always like immediately triggering alarm bells because sometimes like when I'm in the Northeast, when I'm at college, that's a pretty common question because most of us aren't from Clinton, New York. We're from mm-hmm. other places in the country. So if someone asks me, I'm not like overthinking that. I'll just answer North Carolina. But then it's the follow-up question that really um, I start to think, oh, no, here we go again. Mm. Um, so it is something that I feel very uncomfortable with. It's um, I actually feel it like physically. My whole body will kind of tense up mm. and I'll just start to feel like very angry mm-hmm. um, and frustrated. Um, usually it's the same sort of questions. Usually the follow-up is where are your parents from? Because I think people have realized that where are you really from is kind of inappropriate Mm -hmm. so they think oh I'll be sneaky and ask about your parents Mm -hmm. um which of course being adopted uh by white parents doesn't go anywhere right um yeah Mm -hmm. I've had some people like actually keep following up with that and then they'll eventually get to where your ancestors from wow and then they get a lovely surprise of well my mom's side of the family immigrated from Scotland and Ireland um really confuses people Wow. Do you, so you don't, it sounds like based on, on how you're explaining these, the sequence of events that you don't explain that you're adopted. No, I, I used to, I used to, as soon as someone would ask like, where are you really from? I would say, well, I was adopted from China, but I've stopped doing that because I found that the type of people who are asking like these really intrusive questions are also the people who would hear China and make a lot of assumptions about me because then I'll get a follow-up like, oh, I love Chinese food or Mm. like my best friend's sister adopted from Korea or something like that. That's Mm -hmm. just like very loosely related. Right. So I just would rather not deal with that. So I just won't answer. That's a really, I've never thought about that before. 
I definitely need to work on for myself not offering up that information. I feel like I am still one of those people that will just say, you know, oh, well, you know, I'm this and this, but I'm adopted from China. And that's really is the answer to your question. Um, and I've definitely noticed that it's a, it's a compulsory response. And so I always like hearing other people's experiences of this question because, well, I think it's because it's so ubiquitous, I think it's helpful to put it out there and so that people, adoptees and other people can hear how the same question over and over again can be interpreted and felt and received in like literally like hundreds of way, different ways, depending on who you are and what your background is. But that's really, I'm glad you brought that up uh, because I, I think it's something that most adoptees can relate to for sure. I want to ask um, if you could tell your younger self, if you could tell like young Sophia one thing about self-love and the idea of like loving who you are and what your identity is instead of trying to conform your identity to meet some sort of, I don't know, social standard, what would you say? I think this is probably very cliche and it's something that I'm still working on, but I would tell my younger self to stop worrying so much about what other people expect from you or want or will assume and think about what you want. What do you want? What would make you feel good? Hmm. Um, and I'm saying that because I'm starting to think about searching for my birth parents. And I think one of the reasons that it took me so long to want to do that is because there's this expectation that I would want to search for them. And I didn't want to conform to other people's expectations. But I think that really... Um, was kind of harmful in some ways because it's something that I struggled with um, having all these questions and not knowing the answers. And I still might not be able to find the answers, but I think being able to start that search might have helped. Hmm. I love that. That's, that's definitely great advice. I think, yeah, the pressure that society like puts on us uh, and, at the same time, like generalizes and just kind of clumps people into groups and take away their, their autonomy can, can, as you said, make people can like turn people off to doing something that they might really want to do, but they don't want to conform or sort of, you know, quote unquote, give in to whatever stereotype is out there. So I think that's really great advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really love talking with you and getting to know you and, you know, hearing your story. Thank you so much for sharing and, you know, being willing to put that out there for other people to hear. And, you know, I just love learning about other adoptees and their experiences. And it's, it was really fun. Thank you. It was so fun. Thanks for listening. Okay. Bye. Bye. And as always, thanks to you all, the audience, the listeners who keep coming back to I'm Adopted Now What every week to spend 45 minutes with me. 
I am so grateful for you all. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of I'm Adopted, Now What? Hosted by me, Liza. If you liked what you heard, then please be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. Leave a good review and share this episode with a friend. If there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on a later episode, DM me and tell me all about it. You can do that and find this podcast on Instagram and Facebook at imadopted.podcast. See you there. Thank you.